Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us today. If you're joining us online, thanks for worshiping as well. Um, Just as Jim mentioned, we've been working our way through a study on the life of Moses. And the life of Moses is a great study for us because we get to see how it is that God shapes his servant. The tagline next to Moses, more commonly than anything else in the scripture, is that it's, it's Moses, the servant of, the, of God. Moses, the servant of the Lord, which is not a bad tagline to have, like Jim mentioned. Um, and by looking at Moses' life, unfortunately, we have a lot of data on Moses' life. We get to see how it is that God shapes his servant so that we can also begin to see how is it that God wants to shape our lives as well. And God was at work at Moses' life, in Moses' life, even before he was born. Um, Moses was born um, in, into a very, very difficult and broken time. Uh, he was born in, in a time in which um, babies were to be thrown away, especially the firstborn sons were to be thrown away. But amazingly, by uh, Moses' parents' great faith and the intervention of God, he isn't thrown away. And Moses' life really is a, such an incredible story, a testimony of what God can do with children that are not discarded. And God uses Moses in a, in a really remarkable way. Moses, uh, in growing up, has two uh, messages that are given to him. In his Hebrew home, growing up with his parents, he gets the message from them, you're a child of God, and um, you can be a, a man of destiny if you submit yourself to the one true and living God. And then after about 12 years or so, he's brought into the palace of Pharaoh, where he has a much different message that's given to him. And the message there is, no, 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 you're a child of Pharaoh who is a God. Therefore, you don't need to bow to anyone. You can do whatever you want. And sadly, at one point in Moses' life, he listened to that wrong message. And in a fit of anger and rage, he killed a man. He killed an Egyptian slave uh, master. And at that point, Moses, the prince of Egypt, becomes Moses the felon, the fugitive. He flees into the desert. And it says in Scripture that he fled to Midian and he sat down by a well, meaning he was absolutely isolated and alone. And sometimes God needs to get us into a place where we're isolated alone where we have no resources and so that in those moments we might just stop and say God I need to listen and learn from you because Moses had a lot to learn see he knew what God's um um you know plan was that he had a purpose but he just didn't follow God's method he knew that God um had a a, what God's will was but he didn't necessarily understand God's way yet and so God parked him in the desert for 40 years and when you think about it that's a long time to be developed. But Moses was developed during that time, and he learned lessons in, the, in the, that desert season of his life. He learned that he can serve without being superior. He learned that he could um, rescue without needing the recognition uh, to himself. He also learned that it was God's plan for him to have patience, and that's part of God's process in shaping us to be who he wants us to be. Then, After 40 years of being in the desert, God does bring Moses to a point, a crossroad moment, a a moment where he encounters a burning bush. And Brian, last week, if you're here, did a great job talking about that crossroad moment in Moses' life. That after 40 years, he's brought then before God, and God gives him this uh, command. 
And if you know the story, and Brian talked about this this last week, Moses, when he was given the command of God to go, you know, go back to Egypt and, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, um, Moses all of a sudden, you know, comes up with a ton of excuses why he shouldn't go. You remember that? And it's super relatable, relatable isn't it? That sometimes when God says, follow me, we're like, yeah, I'm not sure you really want me to do that. When God says, here's what I want you to do, we're like, yeah, I've got a few other things to do instead. And we are good at coming up with excuses, but God presses in on Moses, and to his credit, he says, okay, God, in that crossroad moment, he said, I will follow you. And it puts Moses on a hard path, because now he gets to interact with Pharaoh, which, if you know anything about Pharaoh, he's a very fickle character, He's very volatile. He's, you know, one way, the, one day, and one day the next, and he's very, very difficult to deal with. But the message that Moses is to deliver to, to Pharaoh is to let God's people go. They've been enslaved, and God's saying you need to let them go. And so that's the message. Now, if you're familiar with this part of the story, this is when God backs Moses up with 10 plagues that he delivers in, in that period of time. And um, I wish we would have the time to go through the, you know, the whole book of Exodus and we can cover the plagues um, and, and do all of that, but we don't have the next 10 years to do that. And I've committed to talk to you about Moses' life in particular, so we're not going to talk about the 10 plagues at some point. I hope we are able to, but really what happens is God then, um, through the plagues and through his, through his intervention, gets the... the Egyptians and in the Pharaoh, especially to say, okay, you know, push the, they're push, they get to a point where they want to push the Israelites away. In fact, they're paying the Israelites to leave. And so after 400 years, the Israelites who have been enslaved in Egypt are now given their freedom. And they're given the freedom and they're pushed out of, of Egypt by the Egyptians. And now they're on their way to the promised land. Except that, if you're familiar with the story, it's not the promised land that is their next stop. It's actually the Red Sea that is the next stop. And this is an interesting moment because this is a moment where in following God, they find themselves in a predicament. They find themselves in a really tough place where they're either going to be swallowed up by the sea or they're going to be swallowed up by Pharaoh. And they find themselves in a tough spot, which is helpful for us to see. Because let me say this to you. It's possible for each and every one of us, when we choose to follow God in a crossroad moment, we say, God, I'm going to follow you, that we can find ourselves in a place where we're saying, what's going on? We're in a predicament. We're stuck. God, what good is it to follow you if this is what following you means? There will be some of us here, maybe in this last year, this last month, even in this last week, where you've had a reversal in your life. Maybe it was a financial reversal, and you've stopped and said, God, what's the point of following you if this is what I get? Maybe you've found yourself in a position of, of, of a physical reversal, where you got the diagnosis you never wanted to hear, and you're saying, God, what good is it to follow you if this is what that means, and, and this is where the place that you put me? Maybe you find yourself in a, a relational crisis and there seems no fixing it. And you're saying, God, why? What's the good of following you? And what I want you to see in this passage is that God leads them to a place of difficulty. 
But it's in that place of difficulty that God uses it for his purposes. And more particularly, I want you to see how God uses Moses because he's been shaped by God now to help lead his people to his purposes and the path that he has for them. And so this is why this is such a powerful passage and a powerful study for us to look at. And what I want to do is I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 13 and 14. Um, and this really is a point uh, where uh, the, this is the point where the, the Egyptians have said to the Israelites, go, leave. But at that point, after they've left, the Egyptians are having second thoughts. And this is the kind of the, the moment that that takes place, and it really is an incredible moment. And so once you find it in your Bible, um, if you don't have your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along there. But let's stand together. I want you to hear this, this story, this incredible account, um, in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. But first, let's, let's look at, uh, let's hear the story as it unfolds. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 17, says this. When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, uh, though that was, the sh- was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leading Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people." Then chapter 14, verse 1 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihah-Haroth, near Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Saphon. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory, um, glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pehoroth, opposite Baal-Saphon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing, out, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. 
The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at it together. Beginning in verse 17, it says this. Um, Let's go to the next verse. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So they're leaving Egypt, and there's a route that they could have gone that would have been shorter. In fact, I'll show you a map just to kind of help you see where they're going. And what you see here is, is this is Egypt, the area of Egypt. Uh, around the Nile area, and then they're leaving Egypt, and there is a way, that yellow line, that takes them up by the Mediterranean Sea that would bring them right up to the promised land that God had, had promised. Now, if they had gone that route, they could have been there in two weeks. But God knows if they go that route, they'll face the, the Philistines, and in those moments, they're not ready for battle, and uh, they will be, they'll want to turn around and go back to Egypt. So God knows um, what he is doing, um, but, the, but if you're looking at it from an Israelite's perspective, you're saying, well, if that's the way you want us to go, that's the promised land, the way that they go, which is the red line, is the opposite direction. They're going south when they need to go north. And this is why this is important for us to see and even see on the map, that sometimes God takes us down a path that we don't think or see as the wisest path. Do you know that? There are times when we say, God, this is where we need to go, but God says, nope, I'm going to take you down a different path, that he leads us down a path. And it's in those moments that we have to trust God. But God has a plan, and and for us, typically, we don't see God's plan until we've gone down the road and we can look back and say, oh, God, you had a plan the whole time. That's why you took me that direction. That's why this happened. We don't get to see it till we get there and look back. Um, but that's why it's helpful to see this principle kind of played out for us because God um, knows where they're at. He knows that they're, um, they're in fact, uh, going to be—they're they're, going to be— uh, wanted to turn around fearful if they face challenge along the way. So then God gives them an alternative path. That's the next verse. It says this in verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So the next, again, I'll show you the, the map again. That's the way that they go. They go south towards the, the way of the wilderness. In fact, this is the way that Moses went when he was going out um, and fleeing to Midian, so he was familiar with it. Um, but that's the direction that God takes them, and it certainly is the long way around. And, and that's, that's what I want you to see, that sometimes God takes us down a direction that we don't think makes sense, but it's still uh, the path that God has for us because he has a purpose behind it that we don't often see until we can look back and say, God, you were there. Now, it says in this verse that they were ready for battle, and I don't um, often want to challenge the translation, um, but that really literally means that they, were, they went out in an orderly fashion. And I think that's really more the case, that they were marching in orderly fashion, not that they were ready for battle, because the passage really teaches that they're chickens, not that they're like warriors ready to go, okay? So <laughs> they went out in an orderly way, but they went down that direction, and that's what I want you to see. 
So then the next verse, verse 19, says this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So now this is an interesting thing. You're like, what is the deal with the bones? You know why? Why are they carrying bones with them? God's given them a path. But he also wants to remind them of his promises. And that's really where Joseph's bones kind of come into play. Because over 400 years earlier, Joseph, who was in Egypt, 430 years to be exact, said, hey, listen, God has promised us a, a land. And this isn't that land. And so when God fulfills his promise and I'm gone, I want you to take my bones with you to that promised land because, because Joseph knew God was faithful to his promises. And so when they go and they go, okay, we're taking off. We gotta, you know, we've got to fulfill the promise to Joseph that we would take his bones. Um, that's just a visual aid, a visual reminder that God is faithful to his promises. Just like Joseph said and believed that God would be faithful, they're carrying around his bones now um, to say, yeah, this is a, a, a visual aid, a reminder that God keeps his promises. Now you may be saying, I'm not sure I'd want to carry bones around with me. And I get that. I don't think I would either. But here's the good news. Guess what we get to carry around? We get to carry around this. God's word, guess what? It is a reminder that God is faithful to his promises. When you look, in fact, just even to the fulfilled prophecies in the Bible, you'd be amazed at how reliable God is in fulfilling his promises. And the best indicator of the, the, uh, the best indicator of the future is the past. We can look back and say, God, you have been faithful in the past. We can have confidence in your future because of your word that you had given to us that we get to carry with us on a daily basis. It's an amazing thing. So the Israelites, they have the path of God, even though it doesn't make sense to them. But they do have the promise of God. They're carrying this visual aid around with them, bones of Joseph, saying, yep, God's faithful to his promises. But more than that, they also are given God's presence. And that's what I want you to see in the following verses. It says this, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Ephem near the edge of the desert. Next verse. By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Isn't this great? God's taking them down a path. He's, he's reminding them that he's a faithful God, true to his promises, but then he also is present with them. This pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire, it, it's a manifestation of God and his presence and him leading them and him leading them forward. Can you imagine going out and having a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire leading you and going? And for many of us, we'd be thinking to ourselves, man, if I had a pillar of cloud, a cloud or a fire guiding me, I would never fail, Right? If I had that, I'd never fail. I'd know exactly where God wants me to go, exactly what God wants me to do. But listen, let me tell you something. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, not only do you receive the forgiveness of your sins, but you're given the promise of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Isn't that good news? Because guess what? The Holy Spirit 
<laughs> guides us and reminds us of Jesus' words. That's what Jesus says. Hey, the whole function of the Holy Spirit is to remind you and, and guide you into what I've said. And so we have the Word of God. We're responsive to that, but we have the Holy Spirit within, within us reminding us of this truth. Guess what? We can be guided by God with God's Word and the Holy Spirit on the inside when we place our faith in Him. This is good news. We too can be guided. Of course, we like that visual thing, the, the cloud, the fire, but we have this greater promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us for those who have placed their faith in Him. He can guide you. Now, you can have the path of God. You can have the promises of God. You can even have the presence of God in your life. But guess what? Even with all of those things, God can still guide you into places where you find yourself saying, this is a predicament. He can still guide you in, in the midst of all of those things into a place where you feel stuck. And that's exactly where the Israelites is, are. Because even though they have the path of God, the promise of God, the presence of God, He leads them to a really difficult place. And that's what we need to see and understand because it's part of God's plan and what He's doing to shape them and work in their life. So then we see this in the, in the now uh, chapter 14. Beginning verse 1, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp in Pihaharuf, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Siphon. So now God is saying to, to Moses, Listen, you're leading the people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back the opposite direction. And that's why I want to show you the map again, just so you can see what it is that God's doing. They're going across the, the way of the wilderness, and that could have been the long route up to the promised land. But at this point, they're camped at Atham, and then God says, nope, I want you to go south. And if you notice, they're going into kind of a dead end here, aren't they? You see that they're going into a cul-de-sac, in a, in a certain sense, they're, they're surrounded by water. And if the, now if, if, if uh, the Pharaoh says, hey, I want to chase them, and they've now got the, you know, the, the Egyptian army on one end, and they've got the Red Sea in front of them, they're kind of squished between the two, and they're the baloney and the sandwich. You get that? But that's where God leads them. That's the remarkable thing. God takes them to that place, and they respond, they go, but this is all part of God's leading because God wants to, and we know this, um, show his glory. That sometimes God takes us to places where we're like, ah, this is, this is uncomfortable. I feel stuck. There's no way to go. What's the point of following you? And it's because it's in those moments that God wants to reveal and, and demonstrate his power, his glory through us. And that's, that's what he's going to be doing here in this moment. Go ahead and go to the next verse. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Certainly, he's going to go, oh, they're stuck, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Go ahead, sorry. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So it's at this point he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to use this to display and show my glory. It says here he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. You may be thinking to yourself, what does that mean, harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, again, I already told you that Pharaoh, 
is a very fickle character. And that he has these moments where he's, you know, hardened. And by his own, if you look back at the plagues particularly, he gets hardened. Then he softens. At some point, one point he even says, Moses, pray for me. Then he changes his mind and he just goes back and forth. He's a very volatile man. But he keeps hardening his heart, hardening his heart, hardening his heart. And at some point God says, okay, if you keep hardening your heart, guess what? That's what I'll just let you do it. And he hands him over to the hardening of his heart. In theological terms, it's called the judicial hardening of, of God. That is, if this is the continued path that you want to take, at some point God says, hey, I'm just going to let you go down. It talks about it in Romans, where it just says, hey, he, he lets them go in their own way. Jesus talks about this um, a little bit when uh, he, says, he says, hey, who of you dads is going to give your son, if your son is asking for an egg, you're going to give him a rock and say, hey, here, kid, kid bust a tooth on this, this one, you know? He said, the dad's not going to do that. If your kid's asking for a rock, you know, you don't do that. You, or an egg, you don't give him a rock. That would make no sense. But the problem is, what if they keep asking for the rock? And they keep asking for the rock. At some point, it's like, okay, here you go. Give it a try. And that's kind of the whole concept here, that he, he just keeps hardening his heart, hardening his heart, hardening his heart. Eventually, God says, okay, you're going to see what, what this does. And he uses Moses, uh, sorry, Pharaoh in this way to, again, display his glory. Verse 5 says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Interestingly, the reason why the Egyptians say we got to go back after the Israelites is um, for economic reasons. See, the, the best guess or estimate is two million um, Israelites left is, uh, Egypt. That's a, that's a lot of slave power, Right. That is a lot, a lot of slave power. And all of a sudden they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. With all of them gone, who's going to do all the work? Who's going to be my house help? Who's going to make sure all these projects and buildings get done? So all of a sudden it's a huge impact to their economy and to their way of life. And they say, ah, maybe we're second guessing this. We need to go back after them because we've lost their services. Then the next verse says this. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. That is, uh, the Pharaoh says, I'm going to lead the charge. Verse 7, it says this. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So when you're reading this, and especially um, in ancient days, this is um, when he's talking about chariots and how many chariots he has, 600 of the best chariots, and then a whole bunch of chariots um, that are coming on the rear end of it and part of it, that this would have been like, whoa, he's coming after the Israelites with a battalion of tanks. Because the chariot was the, the modern advancement in, in military weaponry. This was, this was a huge step forward. And so basically, you know, the Pharaoh is saying, hey, we're going to come in with our, our tanks, a battalion of tanks, and, and we're going to just mow all these people down. That's the whole point. And so it's this massive military advance. Um, he's going to mow them all over. Verse 8 says this. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And again, boldly, I don't think they're marching out boldly. Really, the, tra- the, the direct translation is marching out in orderly fashion. I think they're chicken, and I would be too. Um, and that's kind of, I think, really what's going on here. Verse 9 says this. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they c- camped by the sea near Pihaharoth, um, opposite Baal Safon. So the, the Egyptians are there and they, they catch up to them 
And there's a, there's a moment of crisis where the Israelites are, are in now in this really tight spot. They've got the, the Egyptian army coming after them, and they're hemmed in by the Red Sea. So really, truly, they are stuck. But again, in this moment, this is when God wants to display his glory and what he wants to do. But you see the panic of the Israelites in the following verse. It says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Wouldn't you be? If all of a sudden you see all the tanks coming and you're just marching along and you're not ready for battle and, and you're, you've got the sea in front of you, they are terrified. And if they could have run, I think they would have run. I don't know about you, but I probably would have run too. If I, if I had the opportunity in this moment, if I knew where to run to, I would have run. But guess what? They have nowhere to run. And it's good that they don't have a place to run because it's, if they had run, they would have missed what God wanted to do and what God could do. And it says in this spot that they were terrified. They cried out to God. I would be crying out to God too. See, if all else fails, pray, right? That's kind of how it works. And I'm sure that they're praying at this moment, God, 10 plagues, that was pretty good. How about 11 plagues, you know? Starting right now. I mean, let's go. But God doesn't do that, and he has a different plan, and he gets them to the spot where they're really in great desperation. But it's at this spot that they then, um, they start to really freak out. Verse 11, it says this, Um, They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? So this is dripping with sarcasm, by the way, (laughs) right? You can feel it. You can hear it. They're like, I mean, were there not enough graves in Egypt? And if you know anything about Egypt, you know they know the grave thing pretty well, don't they? The pyramids, they're, they're, they're tombs. The, the Valley of Kings, it's all, that's not kings, it's dead people. They know dead people. They know their, the funeral practices of the Egyptians are legendary. So graves are a thing over there. And they're saying sarcastically, wait, were there not a graves in Egypt? Uh, you know, all that, that you would bring us out of the desert to die? So you hear their, um, their sarcasm and they're in this panic mode. And when the pressure comes, they start to freak out. And, um, and this is an interesting thing, right? It's, it's, one, thing, it's, it's one thing to be a, a Christian, to follow God when the sun is shining. That's great. But when the pressure is on and it's stressful, it's very hard. They turn to sarcasm, and then they play a game of attack the leader. And that's what they see next. They have, what have you done to us, Moses, by bringing us out to Egypt? So then they start attacking Moses. What have you, look what you've done. You're the one that took us out here. And then because, again, the, the pressure and the stress of what's going on, they begin to reconstruct history. And that's what we see in the following verse. It says this, um, didn't we say to you in Egypt, uh, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Actually, we have no record of them saying those things. But here they are saying, Moses, it would have been better. We told you to leave us here. We'd rather be slaves than be out here. No, they didn't say any of those things. But they have kind of this reconstruction of history, um, this, the, way, the way things maybe should have been or could have been or whatever. In this moment of panic, they go back and they start attacking Moses. Now, Here's the amazing thing. Moses um, has been in the place that they've been before, where they are at. They are in a place of desperation. They're in a place where they say, man, there's no way to go. And I've tried to follow, we've been following God, and God brought us here. What are we supposed to do? And here's where God, who has been shaping Moses, is now ready to use him to help his people 
because he wants to shape them as well. Listen to Moses' statement, his response back to the Israelites as they begin to panic and they begin to attack and criticize him. Verse 13, it says this, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Isn't that great? I think Moses' words in this moment to the Israelites are words for us today too. Because God had been shaping Moses for this moment. And he'd seen God's deliverance in his life. He'd seen how God has worked. And he'd seen how he just, we need to, to, to wait on him and let him fight the battle. So he is in this place. And so what I want to do, if I can, just speak to those of you who are kind of in that stuck spot where you're in the place where you're like, I've been following God, but here, what's the point? Here I'm in this spot and I just don't see which way to go. There's no way out. I need deliverance and I don't know what God is doing. If you're in that stuck spot, let me just by principle break down Moses' statement very simply because I think it can help you or maybe you know people who are stuck waiting on God for deliverance and I think the statements of Moses can be very, very helpful. So let me just break them down quickly by principle for you. When you're waiting for God to deliver, the first thing is this. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. Moses says, don't be afraid. And just by listening to that, you're thinking, well, that's a dumb statement, Moses. I mean, they have a lot to be afraid of. There's the sea in front of them, and there's an Egyptian army behind them. Of course they're going to be fearful. But, but Moses says, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. And this is why it is important for us to get, because when we come to crossroad moments and, we're, and God says, follow me, we need to know, and you need to be very aware, that when God calls you to a life of faith, guess what's going to be right next to you? Fear is going to be right there with you. I had a pastor who always used to say this. He'd always say, faith and fear have the same zip code. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Because when God calls me to a life of faith, to step forward in faith, right around the corner in the same neighborhood is fear. And so there's this reality that we, there's a wrestling and, and Moses is saying, do not let the fear dominate you. You need to have faith. Because here's the problem. When we let fear dominate us and control us, it, it, we give into a couple of different things. And so let me just point, you, point out some of the things that we do when we allow fear to dominate um, our lives. We give into fault fighting, fault finding. And that's what the Israelites do. They start pointing out and, and saying, well, Moses, this is your fault. You're the one that brought us out here. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here? So they start pointing out the faults of others. When we give in to fear, guess what we begin to do? We start to fault find in the lives of other people, don't we? And who do we tend to attack? We tend to attack the people who are closest to us. We're fault finding our spouse. We're fault finding our kids. We're fault finding our coworkers. We're fault finding our teacher. Whatever it might be, we begin to attack others and even those who are closest to us because in, in those moments of fear, when we allow fear to dominate, we begin to fault find in the lives of others. And so Moses is saying, don't give in to fear because we fault find. The second thing that we do with, when we give in to fear is we forget what God has done. When we give in to fear, all of a sudden we have amnesia that God's been faithful in our past. Just think about the Israelites. What had they just experienced? 
God's deliverance from Egypt. Ten plagues. So they just experienced this incredible work of God. All of a sudden they forget that because fear comes in. They forgot the, the fact that God had been faithful to his promises in their past. And by the way, they're carrying Joseph's bones around, which is a little weird, but it's a reminder God is faithful. He said he'd take us to the promised land, and look at us. We're on our way to the promised land. So God is faithful. But in the moment of fear, and when we allow fear to dominate, um, we begin to give in, and we forget what God has done. So we cannot forget that God has been faithful. He is faithful. He will continue to be faithful in our lives, even when we're waiting on him to deliver. The third thing, if we don't, if we forget what God has done, we fall into paralysis. We fall into paralysis. We get stuck and fear paralyzes us. And Moses is the guy that's able to speak to that. Moses gets it. He's like, yep, I got to the burning bush, and guess what? I started it. I tur- he turned into Porky Pig, right? He's like, but you know, I, not me, not me, not me, right? He just starts stuttering all of a sudden. He's like, uh-uh. He's like, don't, I'm stuck here. But Fortunately, he didn't give in to his fear, and he said, I'm going to follow God. It didn't paralyze him. He was able to move forward, and now God is using him in a significant way. And so Moses reminds them, don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear. When you allow fear to dominate, you fault fine. You forget what God has done. You fall into paralysis. The second thing we see by principle in this, in this, this last, these statements of Moses is this, to resist the urge to run. Resist the urge to run. This is extremely important because <clears throat> um, when we're waiting on God to deliver and we find ourselves in this place where we're stuck, who here doesn't want to run in those moments? Who here doesn't want to look for the closest escape route? But what we need to see is that God brought them there. And then there is no escape route. He wants them there because there's work that he wants to do in them, and he wants to display his glory through this circumstance. And so what we tend to do is we want to run when things get hard, don't we? When you find yourself in your marriage and, and marriage is, 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 isn't working the way that you want it to go, and all of a sudden you find yourself thinking things that you've never thought you would think, that maybe I need to get out of this marriage, I need to run. Well, guess what? God has, um, if you get out of the marriage, God has another marriage just like it waiting for you, Right? And he'll bring you back to it. You're saying, well, I'm in this job and it's just terrible and I just, there's so much pressure and if I can get out of it, then I'll be okay. Guess what? God has another job lined up for you where you're going to have pressure and challenges and it's going to come up. Now, sometimes we try to leave and run, but sometimes we run without ever leaving. That is, there's plenty of marriages where the spouses have not left, but they've checked out and they've escaped even though they've never gone anywhere. And so there's lots of ways that we can run. There's lots of ways that we can numb out, check out, go back to our old ways, uh, old relationships, old patterns that never worked. We run, we escape. When God, Moses is saying, nope, stand firm. Don't be afraid, stand firm. Stay in it. See what God wants to do in your life and through him as you depend on him and wait for his deliverance. So resist the urge to run. Then last principle there is develop your trust in God. Develop your trust in God. Here, Moses, again, the great example where he's saying, listen, I've seen God to be, I've, I've seen that God is faithful and that you can trust him. He says, listen, don't run, don't, don't be afraid. Uh, he says, listen, today you won't see these Egyptians again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. 
And here's the principle that I think is so great that Moses gets that I think is important for us to get as well. And this, this is such a, a key principle. Here's the principle is this, that if God brought you to it, God will get you through it. If God brought you to it, God will get you through it. Moses knows God brought us here. He brought me to it. And if he brought me to it, guess what? He can get you through it. It's so important. And here's the thing. It doesn't always happen the way that we expect it to, right? But Moses knows God's going to deliver. And in this story, if you know the rest of the story, guess what? God does deliver, doesn't he? Because the next thing we know is, you know, God brings a wind, you know, kind of a tri-city force wind, right? I mean, a really powerful wind. I've, I've, ex- I've experienced that now. I'm aware. It's a, it's a powerful thing. God brings a, a tri-city-powered wind to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden the Red Sea gets parted. The, the, the water goes up one way. The water goes up the other way. And the Israelites are able to march right through the Red Sea. Were they expecting that? Nope. But can God do it? Yep. Did God bring them through it? You bet. And then all of a sudden, guess what? The, 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 um, the, Moses said, hey, you're not going to see these, these Egyptians again. He's saying, trust God. He'll fight the battle for you because guess what? After the Israelites go through the parted Red Sea, the, the Egyptians are like, hey, we got to go get them. So they work their way through. You know, the, the, the chariots start to fall apart. Everything's rattled. All of a sudden, the water comes in and they're gone. And they get to step back and say, whoa, God, you fought that battle for us. We were chickens, but you did the work because we trusted you. And Moses is simply saying, listen, you trust God. You trust God. If he brought you to it, he will get you through it. And I'll say this, it it may not be the expected way. And also say this, it may be in the 11th hour. Do you know that God sometimes delivers in the last moment? And if you're not a follower of Christ, you need to be aware of that. The disciples who are following Jesus, they knew Jesus, they knew what Jesus should do, and they're like, we're ready to roll, and all of a sudden, Jesus is arrested, beaten, crucified, and buried. What? What's going on? This isn't the way this is supposed to go. And they're deflated. They're defeated. They're like, you were supposed to be a deliverer, but guess what? Jesus moved away the the stone of the tomb. He comes out, and everything is changed. See, He's a God who does the unexpected, and he comes in even in the 11th hour. He can step in, and he can deliver when we think all hope is lost. And trust me, when Jesus died on the cross, the disciples thought all hope was lost. But it wasn't, because Jesus resurrected from the grave, and it changed everything. Listen, if God brought you to it, he can bring you through it. And he demonstrated it over and over and over again. There's some people here who are in a tough spot, and we need to remember that. And we need to come alongside, encourage them, care for them, and pray for them. So let's take a moment and let's pray together now. God, we do want to come into your presence and just say thank you for being a God who delivers. A God who delivers when we even in the moments when we're struck with fear, panic, when we see no way out. God, we know that you have a plan, you have a purpose, that you've given us your promises, and more than anything, God, you've given us your presence. We thank you, God, for the deliverance 
that we can all receive through faith in the work of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins so that we could be set free, be forgiven, have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for this great gift. We thank you for your promise not to leave us or forsake us, that you stepped in even when we were in a desperate place and you delivered. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith to keep following you and to trust you to deliver us again and again. Help us to come alongside those, Lord, in our lives who are hurting, who are struggling, and remind them, pray with them, walk with them, and and relay the words of Moses that we not, not give in to fear, that we stand firm, and that we, we just rest in you and let you fight our battles. God, we thank you for your promises, your faithfulness, and your power. Amen.